0: You're listening to Uncommon Democracy, a podcast shining light on the unique stories of everyday people who have a positive impact on their communities. Here is your host of Uncommon Democracy, Philip Oroka.
1: According to the National Institutes of Mental Health, nearly 47 million American adults live with a mental illness. And with the coronavirus continuing to persist around the United States, mental health and its importance to a healthy lifestyle has never been more present. I sat down with Jennifer Elsey, a licensed therapist and clinical social worker, to discuss her life story, which includes becoming a mom at age 19, working two or three jobs to support her young family, and completing bachelor's and master's degrees all while raising her two kids. We also discussed how her own experiences with negative labels has made her work as a social worker deeply personal. Her commitment to her community is evidenced by her passion for helping parolees and individuals on probation shed the negative labels society has placed on them and help them reacclimate into everyday life. Well, Jennifer Elzy, thank you so much for joining me on Uncommon Democracy. Um, first, we're going to start with just a quick congratulations. You were married a few days ago, and uh, congratulations. How how does it feel to uh, you know, it's it's kind of a weird time with with the pandemic, and I think it's very important to celebrate positive things in our lives. And uh, I wanted to make sure that we we talked about this first because this is a very this is this is great. You know, you you got married, and um, congratulations!
0: Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so we were kind of you know wavering back and forth what we should do. Should we hold off on it? Should we go through with it? And you know what? This is our original date. And we went for it. It wasn't what we planned, but that's okay. We made it work, and we're excited.
1: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So you know the the um, uh, i'm I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today because uh, I think uh, mental illness is, you know, such a, a big topic. Um, you know, it definitely is getting more and more attention, um, especially during the um, uh, Democratic primary. Presidential campaign, and uh, you know you are an outpatient therapist, and we're definitely going to get into that a little bit later. But one of the things that I was was very curious to to kind of talk about with you is you you really have a great story. Um, You know, you're from a very small town in Illinois, uh, and you ended up at college at SIU Edwardsville, which for our listeners is Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. but, you know, the thing I wanted to have you talk about was uh, labels and, um, you know, you became uh, a mother at the age of 19 and you had to deal with the, the stigma as a teen mom and the label that comes with it. And, you know, there's really a negative stigma that's attached to it. Can you just kind of talk about your experience as a teen mom and, you know, how that term really in our society today brings with it a negative stigma?
0: Sure. So, um, it was unexpected for sure for me to have my daughter at the age of 19. Um, I had a plan for myself to, you know, go to college, to study, um, sociology at the time and, you know, just to get done with my schooling and then go on. And, you know, then I had her and I was scared. You know, I was like, okay, now what? And then I kind of went into the like, okay, this is what I do. I'm going to be a mom, you know, and I had a very great upbringing with both of my parents to give me that great example. And they were very supportive. And so I was lucky in that fashion, you know, and it was surprising because so many people, you know, the label teen mom has such a negative context to it. And, you know, people were telling me what to do in society, like, oh, you need to quit school, you need to get married, you need to, you know, blank. And I was thinking, you know, if I didn't have a strong backing um, and support system growing up, I don't know what my life would have turned out to be, you know, and people were asking me, are you going to keep your child or you need to give the baby up or you need to get married? And I was thinking, you know, this is awfully intrusive, and you know this is my life. I'm the expert. Please don't tell me what to do with my child. And it was very um, triggering and angering at first.
1: Absolutely, and you know I think there are, there are a couple other labels that um, you know people tend to, or I guess I, they'll tend to identify with you. Um, you know you've you've gone through some difficult times. You you know you had to drop out of college to raise your daughter. Uh, you you've uh, gone through a a divorce, which is which can certainly be difficult with kids. And then you grew up in a very rural, small town. And, you know, those labels can certainly follow you. And I think, you know, we as a society label people or we're quick to label people without necessarily getting to, um, you know, the the the, um, uh, you know, who who a person truly is inside when we talk with them and engage with them. Um, you know, you came, like you said, you came from a very, uh, fan, you came from a very wonderful family uh, unit. And talk a little bit about your upbringing and your parents.
0: So um, my mother was in the banking industry and my father um, was a sergeant at the prison here locally. And um, I am the middle child, and I have an older sister and a younger sister. Um, And so a family of five in a very small town, you know, central Illinois. Um, Growing up, we were a close family, um, you know, pretty much all American.
1: So... As I mentioned earlier, you're an outpatient therapist. Can you give us just like a general idea of what that means? You know, from a high level, what do you do on, you know, from a day in and day out basis?
0: So my degree is uh, a master's in clinical social work. So, you know, we're talking about labels earlier and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And even when people hear the word social worker, they immediately, immediately think, um, oh my gosh, you know, you work for DCFS, you take people's kids away. And I, I just want to say no, I don't do anything like that. Um, so my outpatient therapist role, um, I work with all populations from, you know, children, adolescents, um, adults, families, couples, geriatrics, um, criminal justice system. And I, so clients come to me, Um, after they get scheduled and I initially do um, a mental health evaluation and then from there I go on to see um, what type if any treatment is
1: needed. So one of the things that you know we had talked about in earlier conversation Jennifer is you know you do quite a bit of work with parolees uh, and individuals that are on probation Uh, and you'd also mentioned that you know, there was quite a, maybe a uh, mystery behind what your father did uh, at the prison in, in, uh, in Central Illinois, that he would work the night shift. And a lot of times there wasn't maybe a lot of conversation around what he did. Um, can you talk a little bit about your work with uh, people that are within the criminal justice system? And, you know, do you think that you know, the, the, the mystery of what your father did. Do you think that kind of led you to where, where you ended up today?
0: Yes, that definitely played a part in it. And um, my mother also, she was very, and is still to this day, very into the um, psychological uh, thrillers and, you know, just kind of the mystery type shows. And so, you know, growing up, I knew, you know, approximately, okay, 10, 15 at night, my dad would leave for work. He'd get home about 7, 15 a.m., 7.30. But within that time, I'm thinking, what is he really doing? You know, I know what my mom does. Um, I visit her um, at the bank at times, and but I obviously could not go and visit my father at the prison. And, you know, as I grew up, I was thinking, I never really asked questions about what my dad did, Um Again, I knew he was a sergeant at the prison. I knew what shift he worked, um, you know, and and I'd hear bits and pieces, but it was just never really talked about what he did. And so my perception, um, you know, I kind of had this idea of, oh, you know, if I watched a TV show when I was younger um, and maybe there were inmates on there, I was thinking, oh, that must be what my dad does. And as I got older, I was thinking, okay, maybe it's time to have a conversation. So, you know, as an adult, I've had some conversations about what, um, you know, he had done. He's now retired. Um, And, you know, just that curiosity behind what's happening, not only, um, you know, with my father and and when he goes to work, but also what's happening uh, with the inmates and how do people even enter the criminal justice system and how what is that pathway? You know, what is recidivism? And all of these terms that were being thrown at me um, early on in my college career. And it just really interested me about, um, you know, what is this, this what if cloud just hanging above me? I just wanted to explore that further.
1: You know, there, well, there's a there's a big piece of this, I think, that I also wanted to get to is that I think there's there's maybe a um, a deeper connection in that you know you've you've gone through life um, and you know you've had these very strong labels attached to you that certainly have a little bit of a negative um, um, uh, stigma attached to it. And you're working directly with a lot of people that uh, in parolees and people on probation that, or have also had negative labels attached to them. Do you, do you think that's kind of an, an underlying thing of, as to why you've kind of gravitated towards this line of work?
0: In a roundabout way, yes, definitely. Um, and so again, my pathway at um, SIUE, when I first went, entered there as a freshman, my major was sociology. And I had this grand plan to go live in Europe and you know, to study people and wonder why they were doing what they were doing. Well, obviously that got put on hold when I had my daughter. And so when I finished with my bachelor's years later, um, my bachelor's is in criminal justice counseling and parole. And that's when it really sparked an interest for me to be like, okay, I d- this is definitely what I want to do. Um, you know, I want to work with people who are involved in the criminal justice system and figure out their story. Um, and then when I moved along in my master's career, um, you know, through graduate school and, and getting through that and taking certain classes and having some field experience and then eventually getting into my career as an outpatient therapist, um you know, I, I just really try to empower clients and tell them that, you know, you're more than your charge, you're more than your diagnoses, your, or diagnosis or diagnosis, you're, you know, you're more than your upbringing, and you're more than all of these labels that either someone or society has put on you. And to help them, maybe one, find themselves, but really, again, it's all about the empowerment and um, telling them that, no matter what has happened to you, you are the expert because you have lived your life and nobody else has lived this. And, you know, within that too, am I dealing with somebody that truly is, you know, per se, quote unquote, criminal, or is it more, um, you know, mental health or trauma and unfolding all of that with each client?
1: And, you know, I think also that, you're, um, you know, you, you really, you know, the, the advice that you're providing or the, the, uh, clinical work that you're providing, you really take to heart. You know, I, I think back to, you know, you were, you were, uh, um, you were a, a young mother to a beautiful daughter who I believe is now is, uh, 19 years old. Is that right? Yes. Correct. Uh, and you know, like like we talked about earlier, you didn't let that label define you. You know, you've spent 10 years raising your, your child, working multiple jobs. You got your uh, undergraduate degree. You have a master's. You are an incredibly accomplished person. How were you so strong and how did you continue to persist through a lot of difficult times?
0: Um, I think I'm probably perceived as a very strong person because I have let myself feel things, if that makes sense. And, you know, I definitely have not always been the strong person, but um, again, back to my roots and back to um, my sisters and my parents and just, you know, seeing people within our family unit succeed um, and just having that motivation and having the supportive network to, get to where I wanted to be. I always knew what my end goal was. And so, um, you know, to accomplish that, it was not easy, nor was it pretty at times. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I definitely felt like either, you know, I was not good enough or that, um, I just needed to give up because it was too hard, but something, you know, either inside of me or, um, you know, a supportive person or persons in my life, um, and of course, my children ultimately were my driving force to get to where I am today.
1: Yeah, and I can certainly back that up. You know, I have a I have a four year old daughter, and um, unfortunately, am am victim of uh, of the COVID nineteen layoffs around the country. And uh, you know, I was talking today with my wife. I don't know. You know how I would be doing from a mental standpoint uh, if I didn't have my daughter to kind of look after every single day. Uh, It's certainly a blessing that uh, I did not um, see coming when uh, uh, when I got that call from my former employer that uh, that I was going to have to be let go. Uh, But. So, Jennifer, one of the things that I really wanted to spend a lot of time talking uh, on or talking with you about was uh, mental illness. And, you know, there's there's clearly a stigma attached to it in in that, um, you know, I was I was very, very interested in doing some research for our conversation. One in five Americans deal with some sort of mental illness, and that's according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, You know why do we place a stigma on mental illness you know i think it's i think we can all understand a broken arm a a broken leg uh, some sort of injury surgery that we can see but when we can't see an illness why is it so difficult for us to empathize with people who might be dealing with a mental illness you
0: know, and with that, too, um, you bring up really good points because if, you know, for we're sick, if we have an illness, if we have a health issue, we pick up the phone and we call our primary care physician or we go to a prompt care. Uh, it's not that easy just to pick up the phone or, you know, put in some sort of web request to see a psychiatrist or, you know, a psychiatric nurse practitioner or a therapist or some sort of mental health professional And, um, you know, it's expensive and, you know, there's a cost factor, there's the stigmas behind it, there's the misunderstandings, you know, and even the terms um, mental illness versus mental health, I think have different weights to them. And, you know, if somebody would talk about, and this is my own perception, so people can agree or or disagree, but, you know, a mental illness... to me, that feels heavier, because that means that, you know, if you're physically ill, right, you're sick, and that's not a good thing. Um, And so if someone says, I have a mental illness, it could be like, oh, well, that must not be something that we should talk about. I can't see it. I don't want to have to deal with that. And, you know, of course, that's not acceptable you know and and things you somebody hopefully would not do that to somebody who has a physical ailment or a physical illness versus you know somebody um, saying a mental health need that at times could seem a little bit less weighted to be like oh okay well they have a health quote unquote issue that they need to go get taken care of and you know maybe that doesn't seem as scary but you know as you were talking about the physical um, the physical illnesses, a broken leg, you know, or, or um, if somebody, you know, is possibly receiving receiving radiology or um,
1: chemotherapy,
0: guess, yes, chemotherapy. Um, then, you know, they may lose their hair. So you would see like, oh, this person unfortunately must be going through a cancer treatment, and you know, there's empathy for that person a lot of times, but. It, we don't wear these labels that say I have anxiety, I have depression, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia. Um, I'm going through an adjustment in my life that's not visible to people.
1: Do you think that, do you think that at all, maybe sometimes comes down to, you know, we're maybe just scared to ask for help. Um, I know for me personally, uh, when, when, my wife was pregnant. Um, you know, I was, to be honest, kind of terrified to be a dad. Um, it was a new experience, and even though I had a fantastic support system around me, you know, I dealt with some pretty good anxiety. And um, I did decide to reach out to a therapist and kind of work through some 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 issues that I was having prior to being a dad. And I look back on that and I am so unbelievably happy that I did. Um, Do you think that, you know, we're, we're just, you know, a lot of, I I would think maybe more, more men are just scared to maybe say, or maybe raise their hand. I need help. And, you know, is there somebody that I should come, come talk to?
0: Yes. You know, and again, society, the social stigmas and the labels and, um, you know, just your gender role, That um, has been placed on you, you know, and you're supposed to be the strong when you're not supposed to need help and, you know, all of these other social stigmas and social labels and, um, you know, just society again telling you or telling men or telling whatever population we're talking about, how they should and shouldn't receive help or, you know, it could also be demographically, um, you know, gender It can be um, racial. And with all of that, again, my work as a therapist is to break that down and to be like, okay, a lot of my clients will say, well, so-and-so said this, I need to do this because of blank and I need to do this. Okay, well, you know, thank you for that information. That's great. It really helps me capture the whole picture of maybe why you're here, whether you're coming voluntarily or whether you're being here you know, on a on a court order of some sort. But I always, again, bring it back full circle to be like, but what do you want to get out of this? You know, what does my client want to get out of this? And somebody could present with, you know, one thing, or one issue or one topic that they really want to work on, whereas somebody else could present with, you know, 15 different areas but that doesn't mean we're going to work on 15 different areas together, you know, because we, I try to help um, support them and empathize with, okay, but what is the most beneficial to you from your perception? Because there's no right or wrong answer right now. And I like to help my clients visualize things as well. And, you know, to, to use the analogy of or the visualization of, you know, if I had a shelf right here. And there were 10 different buckets on my shelf. You know, what would you put in each bucket? And then how would you categorize them, you know, one through 10? Because it's not going to do us any good to have 10 different topics on the shelf or 10 different buckets and spend five minutes, you know, attacking each bucket for five minutes. So let's work together together get your first bucket, you know, and if if we can spend, you know, three, four, five, 10, 20 sessions on this first bucket, it doesn't mean these other nine buckets aren't important. It's just meaning that we cannot move forward successfully if we don't fully give the attention to the first bucket.
1: And, you know, another thing I'm also very curious about, just to get your your opinion or, or feelings towards is, you know, a lot of times dealing with uh, parolees or individuals that are on probation. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of those people are are men, uh, and you know uh, they may come from you know difficult backgrounds or they've gone through something difficult that has, you know, put them in the situation they're in that they're coming to talk to you. You know, how does that dynamic play into the conversations you have? You know, you're you're a very accomplished woman, and a lot of times maybe the people that you're working with, uh, they're not used to seeing a woman that's, you know, in a position of maybe power is the wrong word, but the, you know, maybe superiority might be a little bit better.
0: And that's kind of a hard question to answer too, because we have, or where I work at, um, And just even the state of Illinois, the disproportionality of men um, being incarcerated and all the male institutions versus female institutions. And so, you know, with that, um, yes, I I would assume, I I don't have the statistics on this, but I, I would assume that I do see more males who are on probation or who have been paroled. And it's surprising because some are very accepting when they come in and and they just open up and, you know, they really are there to accomplish certain things in their life. And then where others are very guarded and they don't want to talk about anything, you know, and, and I respect both of those because again, I have no idea what they have been through, what they've witnessed, what they've seen, what they've gotten in their Um, you know, life and what they have not gotten. And that's something that I also bring forward that, you know, I'm interested in what has worked for you, but also what has not worked for you in your life, because it's just as important to know what, you know, we don't want to go down that same pathway of, you know, coping skills, or, you know, maybe supportive networks that just are not going to be beneficial for somebody.
1: Yeah, and, you know, an- another factor to, you know, maybe why, um, you know, so many uh, people in America are dealing with a, uh, a mental illness or a mental health uh, issue um, is social media. And, you know, I'm, I'm very curious because, you know, on, on social media, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, um, you know a lot of individuals, you know, we like to project a very happy, you know, very positive outlook on life. Um, You know, and this is maybe a difficult question to to answer, but, you know, do you think social media is, you know, from a mental health perspective, a net positive or is a net negative that, you know, we're trying so hard to project this fantastically positive life to our followers but behind the scenes we're trying so hard to do that we're not maybe focusing on what's really important that's ourselves
0: yes and so social media can be positive and negative in nature um you know some of the negatives that come with it are the cyber bullying um the invalidation that one can feel because they don't feel um worthy or um enough in some ways or the competition and the comparison to um, their friends or or celebrities or just people in general and um, you know also depending on the population that I'm working with also I mean I'm getting old enough that um, I do not have a TikTok I do not understand it you know completely yes I know what it is Um, but just that since of unknowingness of um you know the the populations that i'm working with and and for them to to explain something and sometimes they can't explain what they're seeing or why they're feeling the way that they're feeling it but it's almost um addictive sometimes right like i have to post so many pictures i have to get so many likes i have to do something to compete with someone or themselves um But then on the flip side of that, you know, social media can also be a great platform to get information, um, to have support when people may not have anybody, you know, and um, you know, there's, there's a great wealth of knowledge out there and then hopefully, you know, with the ability to, to find out if it's a reliable source or not. Um, And then, you know, If someone wants validation by posting something and it does not become, you know, obsessive or addictive, good for them. You know, I mean, there's no harm in that either. Um, It's a very double-edged sword that I see with um, some of my clients that I work with. And, you know, some people have had to delete their accounts because they could not function over a period of time because they were spending all day and either ignoring themselves and not taking care of themselves or ignoring somebody else that they should have been spending time with and taking care of. So, um, it's a very mixed bag of, you know, positive and negative nature.
1: So, you know, Jennifer from a, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that I I often think about right now with, with the COVID-19 pandemic is the, the mental health uh, of our doctors and nurses that are, you know, really on the front lines of, uh, of this illness. Um, a lot of times uh, our doctors or nurses are having to deal, or excuse me, they're having to, you know, maybe be bedside with, um, with individuals that unfortunately succumb to this illness where normally there's a family member. Um, and so, you know, the mental health of our healthcare workers is incredibly important. But I also think about the mental health of someone in a career like yourself. You know, you're having to deal with uh, a lot of difficult situations. A lot of emotions uh, are coming to uh, are coming to be. And I'm just wondering, how do you stay positive through the work? And how are you able to? you know, be at the best you can be on a day in and day out basis.
0: And so a lot of that comes um, through supervision. I mean, supervision with, um, you know, a director or supervisor or another clinician is extremely important and uh, to have, you know, checking my own self and having my own self-awareness and, you know, really just paying attention to the day's if you know I tell my clients it's okay not to be okay and you know if I need a day where I'm not okay then I either you know need to utilize supervision more or I need to plan a couple days off um, and I have a very supportive um, a very supportive boss and a very supportive agency for all of us you know no matter what our role is there especially through COVID and saying you know if you don't feel safe um, as far as you know your health you're not going to be judged please take a sick day you know if if you need to talk to us about something please bring it to our attention Um, you know and it's just that support that I feel and so um I never feel like I'm going to work. I love my career. I love what I do. Every client is different, you know, and even if they're dealing with similar types of, um, you know, mental health needs every day and, and, and literally every hour is different. And so if I've, if I've gone through a difficult, um, session, you know, taking five, 10 minutes, um, to myself or, you know, uh, talking with somebody for a couple of minutes or getting my focus somewhere else isn't is important and so um you know they're hour sessions but we try to you know at the 50 minute mark all right let's you know start to wrap it up and then that way you know we have that five to ten minutes between clients to really okay let's take a deep breath let's walk around the hall you know, let's let's focus on something different for a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it's not always easy. And um, just, you know, it's all about self-care, no matter how that looks to somebody. And to me, it's, you know, supervision, taking some days off when I need them, and never bringing my work home with me.
1: And are those, you know, if if you were to... You know, if, if, you know, if you were to advise some of our uh, our listeners, you know, how to be your best from a mental health perspective, would those three things, you know, be at the top of the list? Or, you know, if if you could just, you know, rattle off a couple of things that, you know, we should do on a daily basis, a weekly basis or a monthly basis to really try to improve our mental health, what would those things be?
0: Try to have someone or something be, you know, your supportive network. It does not always have to be a person, but something or someone that is um, supportive to you in whatever way is is best. Um, And then to have alone time, uh, no matter if that's five minutes or, you know, five days on a trip by yourself, just have some time with yourself to either think about nothing or to really... Build the self-awareness um, about what you have accomplished, or you know maybe what you're striving for, because that is important, right? To so really kind of self-reflect and be like, okay, maybe I'm not quite where I want to be, but look at everything that I've overcome, or look at everything you know that I'm working towards and have accomplished, and then this is where I want to go, and that's important to do nearly every day, either on a grand scale or. You know, just kind of on a surface level. Um, Another thing that I was going to say, my two favorite things um, that I probably should get tattooed somewhere are, you know, what is the purpose? Um, And that can go for anything, like, what is the purpose? And, you know, that doesn't matter if you're running to the gas station, and you're, you know, buying a pack of gum and a soda, or if you're doing some self work, you know, what is the purpose of this? um and then my last thing that I'm going to say is explain the why which kind of goes along with you know what is the purpose also you know explain the why why am I doing this or why am I not doing this and that kind of has the self-awareness you know the self-reflection the analyzing the what-ifs in our life um you know, and and so you again. We can do these on a on a grander scale, or we can tone it down and just do it on a on a surface level. So, you know, don't try to get stressed out if these are not happening every day. They do not happen for me either, um, and that's okay.
1: Yeah, and you know the the uh, the last question I have for you today, and this is a question that I always try to uh, uh, wrap up our our episodes is, you know, how can our listeners, how can, um, everyday people, uh, help? And, you know, I think it's a very good question to ask because again, there's definitely a stigma on, um, for, you know, people that are struggling with a mental illness. How can we as society maybe, um, you know, do better with, uh, empathy, Or, you know, how can we just improve and, you know, hopefully, you know, end the stigma that surrounds uh, mental illness?
0: I think a lot of the work can start with ourselves. You know, um, we tend to think, you know, how can I help someone else or how can I help a cause? You know, but really, if it starts with ourselves and and we do a lot of self-work, some self-empowerment, some self-awareness, some self-reflection... Um, self-esteem building you know if we're not okay we cannot take care of anybody else so make sure that you're okay yourself if you're not okay um you know is this just a situational issue that you're dealing with or is this truly something that you've been struggling with for a long time and um you know both you can get professional help with um and you know, if you feel comfortable, please talk to your doctor. Talk to your nurse. Um, you can talk to you know your supportive network, whoever they may be. Um, you know, if if someone is ever feeling suicidal or if you're ever worried about somebody, please don't ever hesitate to call nine one one. You know, from my experience, um, the emergency personnel would much rather, you know go to a call or take a call and it result in nothing versus you know, getting there and they need to call the coroner. So, um, but again, please you know, be kind to yourselves and be kind to others because like the old saying says, you know, we can't judge a book by its cover. Um, we can see a broken leg, but we can't see somebody that is you know, fighting a mental health issue.
1: Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on Uncommon Democracy. Um, congratulations again on the wedding. Uh, it's truly been a pleasure to speak with you and um, uh, I wish you the best uh, with your, your new marriage. Uh, your kids are very lucky to have you as a great mom and I know you're gonna continue to do great work uh, in the central Illinois area.
0: Well, thank you so much, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Jennifer. If you know someone who should be featured on an upcoming show, email us at Uncommon at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening to Uncommon
1: Democracy.